One Hope Church. Those visiting with us today, we're thankful um, that you're here. Um, we've been doing a, a series on forgotten heroes, um, as has we were kind of saying most Sundays that we talk about this. We normally just tr- you know teach straight through books of the Bible, so we um, can't skip anything um, difficult. Uh, but we've taken a little bit of a break just to look at some Old Testament heroes um, in particular, um, and the ones that are less known because you know most of us are are going to be common people that are going to be forgotten. So we talk about being a forgotten hero um, with the lives that God has given us, and God indeed will not forget um, if we are His and we um, live for His His purposes and we're on mission um, together with Jesus. So um, I want to give a a little bit of context for this message um, this morning because it may seem almost out of place, but I really don't think it is, um, and I think it's something that we need um, to hear. But let's just go to the Lord again in prayer, and then I'm going to give some context for this and and get into it. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your great love for us. Lord, we certainly don't deserve it. Um, As with all of the human race, we have been rebellious against you, God. And yet, in your great love for us, you reached out to us and you gave us your Son at the cross. And your love is abundant in your grace Um, It's more powerful than sin and more powerful than death. And so we thank you, Jesus, for what you accomplished for us at the cross. And we pray that we will be faithful to you and to your your word. Um, So help us to understand it in its fullness. Um, Help us to understand the things that are hard for us to understand. And Lord, also to accept our own limitations and understanding. Help us to trust you. Help us to be faithful. We love you, Jesus. And we ask that you would move and work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And this time, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to give a little bit of a context of of why this is this heavy on my my heart um, this morning. So, Thursday morning, you know, it started off as as a really happy day because um, our little girl Joanna turned two on uh, on Thursday and so you know when one of your, that's just an exciting thing when someone um, you love you know has a birthday and you get to celebrate that and you know we're happy um, as a family and you know kids go to school and different things and then I go to Horizon Physical Therapy our good friends there and um, who man is putting my neck is messed, or shoulders messed up, so they're, put, they're, 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 they're helping me, but it's, it's painful. You know, it's just how it goes. Um, it was those, those needles with electricity running through it. It'll, it'll get you pretty good. Um, but uh, in that time, I get a message um, from um, Jaime, one of the leaders in Church of Mexico that we are partnered with, and it says one of the, the brothers from the church had been um, kidnapped, late the night before, and he was asking for prayer. And, and we know this, this brother and, um, you know, his wife and his, his children, and, um, you know, we've, we've known them for a long time. And this, this man is, 
You know, um, I guess probably in his late, late 50s, um, early 60s, a taxi driver um, to earn money for his family, and he's at work, and he gets abducted, and his family gets, his wife gets called and says, this is how much money we want, and it's an exorbitant amount of money, you know, that they don't have, and so everybody scrambles to get what, together what they can. And thankfully, um, the next night, late the next night, we, you know, that same Thursday, actually Thursday night, um, you know, we received good news that, you know, the payoff went smoothly and he was released and all of that. Um, and so there was Thanksgiving, you know, in that time. And I, I just want to thank everyone who prayed for that. I know some of you didn't get the message. Um, I'm sorry for that. But um, thank for, the, for those who did get it and who did you know, pray and prayed a lot that day. And one of the things that was really cool about that, um, you know, Peter had texted me, uh, um, you know, he's been in New York City for the last six months or so, and he texted me and, you know, I texted him about the situation and he, the church he's a part of, he put it to their prayer team. Um, our friends in church in Augusta, they put it to their, you know, prayer list. Um, friend of mine in Iraq, another friend in um, Malaysia, um, our friends Kevin and Rachel Grasso from here um, in Jerusalem, and they're all praying. And so, you know, people all over the world are, are praying, praying for this man, and that was a, a beautiful thing. I mean, you've got to look for some of the good um, in a situation like that. And, and that's some of the good, that the body of Christ cares about one another, and, and people in the body of Christ care about people that they, they don't know by name. Uh, they don't know by face. Um, but we care because we're connected in Jesus and we understand that we're part of the big C, capital C church that is every believer in Jesus around the world. Um, and regardless of, of differences, if we have Jesus, we have everything. You know, And so I'm talking about the true church of Jesus and that's those who are committed to to Jesus and you know to His gospel, not talking about fake mess. If you guys saw the news uh, this week, this this lady, uh, uh, a minister of uh, of a, a church, might have been it's either up north or in Canada, but that's really irregardless. She's allowed to keep her position, even though she has now um, said she's an she's an atheist. It's like, in what world does that make any sense? Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Like, let's just be real clear. That's not a church. When you have somebody that can be the leader of a church that doesn't believe in God, that's not a church. You can call it whatever you want. I mean, you, I mean, just like you can call yourself a Pokemon if you want to, but that doesn't that doesn't make you one. You know, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want to, especially in the day and age where it's like make your own words, make your own definitions. I mean, everything's a free for all. Okay. And that has come into religious things as well. And, and, you know, that's a sad, that's a thing. But I'm talking about the true church of Jesus Christ. Those who believe in him. And it's a simple thing. It's a simple gospel. That we're sinful people saved by the grace of God through faith in, in Jesus Christ, who is both our Savior and our King. And when you're part of the true church of Jesus Christ, you pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. He is your king. 
You know, he's my king. We are his servants. We are to live in obedience with him. Now, the, now the wonderful thing is we don't. He's not a despot. He's not a tyrannical, you know, God. But he's the one who went to the cross and humbled himself and and died for us, and who cares deeply for us. We couldn't be in better hands. Couldn't be in better hands. And so we need to understand that our allegiance is to Him primarily. And every other allegiance to nation, to family, to work, to anything else must be subservient, must be secondary to our allegiance that is in Jesus Christ Himself, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And a lot of times, though, we get it twisted. And the reason we get it twisted is because we like to set up our own little kingdoms. But often our own little kingdoms are contrary to the kingdom of Jesus, to the true kingdom. And so we have to recognize that and allow God to show us when we are putting anything else you shall have no other gods before me, is what the scripture says. You know, when we put anything else above the true and living God. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give a full context for what we're getting at this morning. Because um, with that experience, those, those, those moments, the, the good that was in that situation, and the thanksgiving we had in that situation, the power of prayer in that situation, yet also there was sadness. And there was anger. And, and it's right that there would be sadness. It's right that there would be anger. There is a righteous anger spoken about in the scriptures. And if you don't ever get angry on the side, on the side of good and, and, and righteousness and justice, if you don't ever get angry at wickedness and the evil that's in our world need to wake up. You know, and, and get off the sidelines, get off the bench, and be an active participant in the work of Jesus. There's a place for anger. The psalmist, Psalm 94, this morning, I mean, just, just hear this, Psalm 94. This is scripture, folks. This is scripture. O Lord, Psalm 94, O Lord, God of vengeance. Hear that? This is scripture. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O long, how long, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. You may say orphan. You think about that for a minute. Around the world... About 1,054 people are murdered every day. 
not talking about anything having to do with abortion or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, homicide, one person on another person. Not talking about wars. We're just talking about violence of a very up-close and personal nature. 1,054 times on average every single day. Think about the destruction and the heartache that brings to families. There are over 40 million people in forced labor in our world today. The numbers surrounding you know, rapes and violence, violent assaults in our world are horrific. So, and, and we need to understand that these types of wickedness have been happening since shortly after the beginning of humanity. Remember Cain and Abel. You don't get past the first two brothers before you have a murder. You know, so it's reasonable that the psalmist would ask God the question, would ask God to repay what the wicked deserve. That's a reasonable request. And the psalmist knows that God has given vengeance in the past. You know, he's got thousands, a couple thousand years, several thousand years of biblical history looking back from when the psalmist writes to see what God has done at different times to the wicked. Remember how the Hebrews who were slaves in Egypt came out. It was at God's hand. God's hand of vengeance. Remember what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah? His hand of vengeance. We, we understand, especially because of the cross of Jesus, that God is a God of love. The scripture actually says God is love. But we need to remember that there's a whole picture here. And if the only thing you ever say is God is love, well, you're not given the full description of God. And that's what in our modern times, the church seems to have lost. Because they want, just, you know, we want to be able to soft pedal everything. And we don't want to offend anybody. So it's easy just to say, God is love and God is love you. And certainly I say it. I mean, I'm sitting there coaching a little kindergarten basketball team. I said, kids, what I want you to remember tonight is that God loves you. When you go to bed tonight, I want you to remember Jesus loves you. And I believe that to be true, and the scripture says so. And they're not quite old enough or ready to hear God be vengeful against the wicked. They don't, I don't need to tell the kindergartners that. Okay? <laughs> But I need to remind all of us of that. We're adults and we can handle it. You get the full picture. Because listen to this in verse 7. It says, And they say, The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? 
He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, and they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me? Who, will, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evil doers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute or law? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. The psalmist here, Psalmist David, understands firsthand as when he writes, as you know, his life had been pursued. Yeah, he said, if the Lord hadn't, hadn't gotten in the way, if the Lord hadn't stood for him, he would have been in the land of silence. What does that mean? It means he would have been in the grave. He would have been dead. Yeah, and, and the truth of the matter is, um, we don't know and we cannot understand why, in some cases, like with, with our, our brother Hugo, who was released, um, why he was spared... And in another case, why another brother or another sister is not. We can't comprehend that. My friend in, um, in Malaysia sent me a video of, of one of his personal friends. Uh, it's, a, it's a camera that was on a building that videotaped this. And so this, um, one of the Lord's workers um, in, in, a, in the church in Malaysia was driving his car and, and three SUVs pull up and surround it. Like one pulls up in front. One pulls on side, one pulls behind, they all suddenly stop. The whole scene takes less than a minute, it's about 40 seconds. And there's two cars behind and two motorcycles that keep everybody else back. And they yank this minister of Jesus out of his vehicle and throw him in. And that was over a year ago and no one's heard anything. We can't understand in one situation why one is spared and one is not. And that's not necessarily for us to even try to figure out. Because, you know, we are not promised, we are not guaranteed. Stephen, the first martyr, is a, is a prime example. What we're told is, is what to do. We are told to pray. We are told to forgive. You know, we, we, we have our directions. Okay, but we don't get to figure it all out. At least this side of eternity. But there's a there's a couple of quotes that I just stand by. One's by Dallas Willard, and it says, "You know what we call civilization is a, a burning heap ready to burst into flames at any moment." Um, another quote, and the name is slipping right on my head this morning, but basically it says, if it wasn't 
you know, for the common grace of God, humanity would have long since destroyed itself. If it wasn't for the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, you and I would not be sitting here today. Because we've already wiped ourselves off the face of the earth as a human race. Naturally sinful, naturally destructive. Those are things that are hard for us to hear, but listen to verse 23 of Psalm 94. It says, He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Your, God, your version may say destroy or some other terminology for utterly finish. You know, again, that's hard for us to hear. But should we expect any less from the God of justice? Who died? Jesus died for the wicked. You know, there is an opportunity there for even those who have done great wickedness. The Apostle Paul's primary example of this. The wickedness that he had committed Forgiven through the grace of God, through the cross of Jesus Christ. So God is certainly not unjust. And again, this is about us learning how to be forgotten heroes. So we have to understand how we are to navigate our world today. How do we navigate a world of wickedness? Like, what are we supposed to do in a world with 40 million people in forced bondage? What are we supposed to do? So there's some key principles. I just, there's, there's more, but here's just three I want to share this morning. Three key principles. The first one is this. Love your enemies even if you are oppressed. That's number one. That's where we start. This is where we start. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. He said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus tells us, if you are reviled and persecuted, if they say all kinds of evil, because you know this is how the wicked operate, is they actually... They try to turn the table and try to call the one they're oppressing the bad one, the wicked one. You know, how, how I mean, just look, just a recent, not that long ago history, when, you know, th- throughout, um, you know, large parts of, of Europe, you know, Jewish people were being rounded up and, and killed. Um, how was that accomplished? You couldn't just say, well, these are good, innocent people. And we're going to go after and kill them. You know, they had to create a narrative that you know the Jewish person was a, a threat and a bad person. You know, Henry Ford wrote a wrote a pamphlet called the international. You know, the world's biggest problem: the international Jew. Okay, that's how you accomplish the ability. To kill and to destroy a group of people is that you make it that they are the, the ones that are the cause of your problems. 
It's twisted. But then Jesus says, remember future, great is your reward in heaven. Remember past, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Because people don't want to hear the truth. People don't want to hear, oftentimes, I mean, people that are truly wicked don't, don't want anything to do with what is good. In often cases. Now, sometimes there are miracles and the lights, you know, come on. But listen to Matthew 5, in the same passage, Jesus is speaking, 43 through 48. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be complete just as your Father in heaven is complete. So we are told to actively love our enemies. And you talk about something that's counterintuitive to everything in our human flesh. Because what do we want? We want revenge. We want them to receive more plus something for what they have done. They want to do the same thing plus more. That's what we want. But we're told to pray for, to love, to bless. And our God has done the same as his evidence. Jesus gives the evidence for that. So that's very clear. There's no sidestepping it. That we are to love our enemies. And now we need to define here what does what does love entail? When love is defined really as I, I mean it's it's a multifaceted thing, but one of the key elements of it is it. Love desires what is best for the other person. doesn't necessarily desire what the other person wants, but desires what is best for the other person. So to love your enemy means, if the, the enemy is wicked, to love your enemy means to desire their repentance. To desire that they would recognize their sinfulness before a holy God and that they would repent, that they would believe in Jesus, you know, they would ask forgiveness, their life would be 180% you know, 180 degree turn, completely 100% transformed. That's the desire for your enemy. It's not that you desire for your enemy to be able to continue on being wicked. No, that's not the blessing. That would be a further curse. Because if they continue in that state and die in that state, then they are under the wrath of God. Okay? So you want them to believe have a changed life. It's what we want. And, you know, hating that person isn't going to accomplish that. Or hating those people isn't going to accomplish that. Prayer, sharing the gospel, doing good. Now, this is what you're to do for your enemies and for those who oppress you. Now, what about when you're not oppressed... 
but others are. What does the scripture tell us about that? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. I'll just pick up in verse 10. I encourage you just to go back and read the entire chapter of Isaiah chapter 1. But for the sake of time, we'll start in verse 10. Now, in context, this is really, really key. God is talking to Judah and God is talking to Jerusalem. And in this part right here, specifically talking to Jerusalem. Now, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Hello. I mean, let me just time that out a minute. You got to get how, how big that is. Jesus, through the Spirit, I mean, it's all Christ, God, Father, God, Son. Let me just say, God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit, the Lord God Almighty is speaking to Jerusalem and says, You rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. Do you understand what a slap in the face that is? I mean, we understand, like, it, Sodom and Gomorrah was extremely wicked in a multitude of ways, not just in one way, in a multitudinous ways. And God, fire from heaven, sent fire from heaven and destroyed those cities. Like, that still speaks today. I mean, imagine if it was like, you know, you got a message from the Lord, and it was to Athens, Georgia, and it said, listen here, you rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. You'd be like, whoa, what, whoa, whoa. You know, I mean, insert, I mean, if that doesn't work for you, you know, insert the name of your nation, and then instead of that nation being called, the, the ones that you, des- you deem as the most wicked currently in our world, the most unjust in our world, and that being substituted in God's message to you. That's what's happening here. Like, it doesn't get any worse. You know, for the Jewish people, especially in this context, they're, they're, they're being called like the very vilest, worst of the Gentile cities. I mean, it, it doesn't get more offensive to this. You can see why sometimes people didn't like the prophets of God. Because they said really offensive things. I mean, I mean, that it's what God said. They're just relaying the message. But they're like, here's what God said, and it stinks. People don't like that. People don't like that. You want to try that on for size? Go to any nation in the world, stand in the public square, and say it's wicked. You just see the reaction you get from people. It doesn't matter the nation. Those people will be ready to take you out. Man. So here we go. Verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. This is a key part for us. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He goes on again to talk about um, in the, the city, listen, is the city, verse 21, let's just read that, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. So, what, the, what, what I think we can pull that, I mean, obviously there's a context here, this is written to a specific people, a specific time in history, Okay, so we have to be cautious. But I don't have any qualms taken from this and saying, as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. I mean, who can argue with that? When the New Testament tells us basically the same thing. Who can argue with that? Can't argue with that. That's responsibility. Especially if you're in position to do something to help if you're in a position of privilege, which all of us are. We have a responsibility. You know, what we teach our kids when we give them a privilege is that, you know, with this privilege comes responsibility. You get keys to a car. It's a privilege. You can drive. Now, with that comes responsibility to take care of your passengers and other people on the road comes with responsibility. Well, that's really tiny in comparison to those who are followers of Jesus who are given the good news of the gospel and the whole counsel of God in the scriptures, the responsibility that we have in our world. We have responsibility. And we need not pretend that we don't have that responsibility that our lives can be lived for us just for what we want it's not what scripture tells us it tells us we're servants of the king so we need to do all the good that we can do the first you know prayer the gospel practical needs you know, so, so this is the order. Prayer, because we understand we can't do anything good apart from God. We have no power apart from God. Prayer. The gospel, because at every problem, the root is ultimately spiritual. It's a spiritual problem. We understand that? Violence is a spiritual problem. Addiction is a spiritual problem. Greed is a spiritual problem. All the problems are ultimately spiritual. And the gospel is what changes hearts and minds 
and lives. And whenever the church moves toward, well, we're going to do good, but apart from the gospel, it has lost its power and it's lost its purpose. It's like trying to put band-aids on a gaping wound. It's just not sufficient. The gospel is the only thing that's sufficient. Change someone's heart. I know I've told this story before, but I go back to being in a prison in, in Mexico with an 18-year-old young man who looks as normal as any 18-year-old young man that I've ever met. I ask him why he's in there, and it says, because I murdered a man because I wanted his truck. So that was a spiritual problem. And the part for me that always is, is haunting is just that question. And I don't know the answer to the question, but that's to ask the question, what if someone had reached him with the gospel when he was 15 instead of him receiving it when he's in prison? What if somebody had reached him when he was 10 instead of when he's in prison? Before he had taken another man's life and wrecked another person's family. The gospel has to be there. But then there's also the good that we have to do, especially for those who are widows, for those who are fatherless, the orphans. For those who are destitute, for those who... you know, in their, their place of living, it's gone through famine or war, destruction. It's, it's unfathomable to us in many ways. I mean, if you just think about, just thinking about food for a second. You know, and, and I don't just have one grocery store that I can go to that's right near me. I have a multitude of grocery stores. And they have food from all over the world in, you know, it's, it's in season. I mean, do we understand how crazy this is that you can, you know, in the middle of winter, eat strawberries and oranges and other things, you know? And the, the, the sad thing is, there's, there's sad things. There's sad things when you look in our own garbage cans and you see the waste. There's sad things when you go to the back of a restaurant and you see all the good food that gets thrown away all the time. There's sad things when tons and tons and tons just of food just in our own community gets put in a dumpster because the new food came in and we hadn't sold all the old stuff yet, even though it's perfectly fine. See, our world doesn't have a lack of resources. Lack of resources is not why people are in poverty and why people starve. Sin Greed, mismanagement, you know, wicked people keep these things. I mean, there's times, even, you know, hey, we'll give this food 
and you know the wicked overseers, you know, take it and mark it up and all these things. You know, the wicked, you know, will even use the kindness of strangers, the kindness of good people, and manipulate it for their own benefits and leave their their people in, in poverty. I mean, shouldn't you be angry about that? I mean, shouldn't there be a righteous anger that, you know, children are going to starve to death today? I mean, that should tick us off. We shouldn't just be like, oh well. So, we need to do all the good we can do. And, and I'm just going to ask us and put it to us, is it's like, you know, we gotta, we got to pray and we got to follow through and there's still projects and there's still things that, that, that we need to do. And we as, as individuals as a church are going to have to be, work harder and be more sacrificial to see those things happen. And that's just kind of how it is. So, you know, I think a lot of times the problem for us is that we want all we want to see all the good stuff, but without sacrifice, and, and and we know that that's ridiculous in so many areas of life. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, Carrie just ran New York Marathon. Now, can you imagine if Carrie had been like, you know what, I'm not going to run for like a year, and then I'm going to enter that race, and I'm going to see what happens. But you know, I mean, I believe good things are going to happen because you know, like God loves me and stuff. Like, how is that going to work out for her? That's not going to work out well. That's not going to work out well. You know, you think about academically. You know, you're, you're, those are your students. You know, I, I'm not going to study at all this semester, but you know what I mean? I have a good and loving God. Yes, you have a good and loving God who gave you a brain and time to do the work. Right? I mean, let's be realistic about it. God gives us, I mean, everything that we need to do His will, but He asks for our participation in it. He asks for our participation in it. And part of that is because He loves us and He wants to make us more like Jesus. And then we, if we're not participating in His mission, we don't become more like Jesus. We become more like the world. And every day, you and I, and every day, this church either becomes more like Jesus or more like the world. That's how that goes. I mean, do we get that? Like, if there's not an intentional in our lives, an intentional in our church, like we are striving to be more like Jesus and to fulfill his mission, we by default and by the nature of our human flesh just become more like the world. That's how that plays out. That's how that plays out. Carrie, was it worth it? All the pain? When you cross the finish line, was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just a small thing compared to you're, you're before Jesus one day, face to face. If you lived on mission with Jesus and you've made the sacrifices, you look back and go, was it worth it? Ask Stephen if it was worth it. 
Ask him if it was worth it. Ask him if the stones were worth it. Ask any follower of Jesus throughout history who has suffered, who is now face to face with Jesus, was it worth it? Man, that answer 100% of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely worth it. But yet we believe a lie from the enemy all the time. Not worth it. It's not worth it. We believe that all the time. It's not worth it. So we shrink back. And so, so we've got to break through some barriers there. And this is my last one for us this morning. We have to leave vengeance to God. Man, this one is hard because I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, I know this for some of you sounds like just crazy, but sometimes I'm, I'm ready to ride. Yeah, I mean, there's some times where, like, you see, you read the Old Testament stories. You read the Old Testament stories and you think about the wickedness in our world today and you go, Lord, can, can, we, can we get some OT justice? Can we get some Old Testament justice? Because there's some people who need it. Can, can we be the instruments of that? You know, I mean, is that... I, and I wrestle with that sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you. And it's not... And, and it's just because, I, you know, we, we hurt so bad for the people who are being oppressed. And when you, when you start looking at what real wickedness really looks like, it's really hard not to feel that way. When you see real wickedness face to face, it's really hard not to feel that way. But, but I, I've got to go to the scripture... Because if I just tell you my opinion, then you know, we're, you know, it's not going to be good. It's just my, my like in the flesh. Got to go to the scripture. You always ask the question on everything. You know, what does the Bible say? Which this is hard. And and please don't ask me right now about you know roles of um, police and military and those things in this situation because that's a different ball game than I'm, what I'm talking about right now. Okay, what I'm talking about now is is you and I as followers of Jesus, civilians who don't haven't been given certain responsibilities by governments and other things. Okay, start in Romans 12 verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. That's starting. Like, I just got to ask that question. Like, do you hate evil? Like, do we hate what is evil? We should. We should abhor it. God does. He tells us to. We are commanded. You are commanded. I am commanded. Abhor what is evil. You see forced prostitution of children? Like, if you don't abhor that, you're not in tune with Jesus. You're not in tune with God if you don't abhor that, if you don't hate that. You gotta hate that. There are things to be hated. That's one of them. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. 
given to hospitality. And here we go. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repain no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, again, I say that in the context. I do believe that there is room here for the police. I do believe there is room here for good government, or at least better governments, to do what is necessary to protect the poor and oppressed. Okay, I do believe there is space for that in the scripture. So I'm not giving you a pacifist position. And in fact, even without violence, the scriptural position, as we've just read all that, is not pacifist. It's extremely active. It's active without taking vengeance into your own hands, but it's extremely active. Extremely active. But it says, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Yourselves collectively. The church is being persecuted in this time. I'm sure there's some that thought, hey, maybe we should take up some swords of our own and defend ourselves. But here he says, don't do that. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God of vengeance, Psalm 94. Sooner or later, God's going to have his justice. Justice is either through the cross or at the, or at the great white throne judgment, one of the two. And sometimes it happens other ways along the way as well. Don't miss that. There are times when God just wipes wicked people out. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what are we supposed to do? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now I've seen that. Like People are like, ha, 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 ha. We get a whole heap of coals of fire on his head. Not understanding, again, context. That's from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. So right, that, the, the author there understands cultures around the world. In Egyptian culture at the time, um, Old Testament times, if a person wanted to show you that they were sorry for something that they had done, they would literally put coals into a pan, hot coals onto a pan. They would go to a person and put the pan of coals on top of their head, that heap, and they would prostrate themselves down in front of the other person and ask for their forgiveness. So the point isn't like, hey, by doing good to them, you get to heap up you know, the judgment they receive. No, it's like, by doing good to them, you're giving them an opportunity to see the wickedness of their ways and to repent. 
I mean, that's what is being encouraged here. You know, I, I, I don't think that anywhere in the scripture we get a rah-rah, like we get to heap up more judgment on people. Like, that's contrary to love your enemies and pray for them and bless them and those sorts of things, right? So that's not... Um, many people, have, I think, have interpreted this passage based on their sinful flesh, what their sinful flesh would want to happen to somebody that was their enemy. But again, that's contrary to the way of Jesus. And we know that in our spirit. So the scripture tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's a principle there that says for us, in terms of the gospel, like, the way that we're supposed to go about changing the situation is by prayer and preaching the gospel and doing good. As far as the church goes, that's our role. That's our role. Pray, preach the gospel, do good. Now, I know that's disappointing for some. (laughs) At, At least at times. At least at times. But the scripture tells us to leave that judgment in God's hands. He's going to handle it. He's going to handle it. And I'm just going to tell you now, I mean, and I know, again, this isn't popular today. God's judgment is real and hell is real. And I'm not afraid to say it because it's in the scriptures. And, you know, it's like, if you, if you have a problem with that, you really don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the Bible. If you've got a problem with the Bible, well, I, there's not a whole lot I can do about that. You know, other than to ask you to examine the whole picture and to think, try to think clearly about all of these things. And not through just a, 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 a thin, you know, narrow lens that doesn't account for the true wickedness that is in this world and the true horror that people experience every day. And that there is a God who is holy and his, he is just. And what sort of God would he be? What sort of God would you have if you had a God who didn't do justice at the end of the day? sort of God would that be? But we're thankful that for those who accept him, the justice of God is satisfied at the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we take that bread and that cup this morning, may we be deeper committed to pray, to preach the gospel, and to do good, knowing that God loves us and cares for us. And he loves and cares those who are going through horrific things. And even in his love, God's grace is available for the wicked. See, you know, God is not as limited as we are. You know, we're, we're, we have a hard time loving and hating at the same time. You know, God can actually love and hate at the same time. He can do it. Because he can, he can hate that sin. He can abhor what is evil. He actually says, the scripture says, he hates the wicked. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just what it says. It says God hates the wicked. It says it. Okay, you can try to sidestep it. But he also says, God, for God so loved the world 
He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but has everlasting life. So it's available. You can, you can, you can move. A person can move from that place of, of wrath to that place of forgiveness. The scripture actually tells us, all of us, regardless of whether you were you know, doing the really wicked things or, or doing the regular wicked things, that we were enemies of God. We were all enemies of God before Christ, before we believed in Jesus. That, that was our position. That's where we stood. Okay, so let's make sure we understand that and have that clearly. And that we would see these things, how God sees them, that God would teach us more about that, and that we would do what God has asked us to do. We'll focus on this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your love to us, your grace for us, God. Lord, I do pray that this morning, throughout our lives, you would help us to be people who pray, who share the gospel, and who do good in this world. Lord, you have given us things to do, Lord. Forgive us for where we haven't done what we should and where we've been slow and where we've been late. And God, help us to see all you have us to do and help us to be faithful to do it. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us, that, Lord, though we fail you so many times, your grace is sufficient. We see the ultimate picture of your grace at the cross, and so we give thanks for that bread and that cup this morning. We say, Jesus, please, come quickly. But until then, help us to be faithful. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Jesus.